is the Teach With Me Today podcast. My name is Marco Hollingsworth. Let's get started. All right, well, it has been a while since we've done the podcast, and I'm not going to lie. Um, there are two reasons. One is that it's summer, and it was um, I've been doing other things. I've actually been injured this summer and kind of laid up, so that has been interesting. Um, I've definitely been more productive doing schoolwork since I've been laid up on the couch and not been able to do much more other than what I could do on my laptop. Um, so it's been pretty cool, and I posted about it a couple times. The second was I just wasn't sure about how this whole podcast was going, and and I bring this up. <laughs> it's like it's not going great um, because, well, I haven't advertised it. We haven't talked about it. I actually just put it on the blog today, um, but I do think it's good and valuable. Um, and I bring this up because this is how I interact with the world. And it's also how I interact with education is I learn about something and I say, okay, let's try it and let's kind of figure it out while we go, um, get our feet under us while, while we're learning. And I think that jumping right in is a particular way of learning that not a lot of people have. Um, if you know anything about the Enneagram, it's a personality typing tool that kind of helps people realize that there are certain ways that we interact with the world and they're different. And so I think certain people would um, study more and learn more about it and read more about it. I definitely did that. I did a lot of listening, reading and studying, but I, I believe in learning by doing. And so I'm going to try to learn as I figure things out. Um, and then once I get going with it for a while, then I typically step back and say, okay, is this working? Um, once the initial energy of enthusiasm of starting something new has kind of worn off, is this something that's worth, worth doing, which ends up being kind of an expensive way of interacting with the world. (laughs) Um, but I have come to the conclusion that I'm, I'm really crazy about the blog (laughs) I should just stop there. I'm really crazy. No, I'm crazy about the blog. I really like the podcast. Um, I listened to it. It finally, it's up on iTunes, you guys, um, iTunes and Stitcher and tuned in. And I think it's really, really valuable. And so I've been investing a lot more time and energy into making this blog and this podcast a more valuable resource for humans, because right now I think I'm the only one reading it. Um, but I think there's a lot of value to be had here. And so I'm looking forward to, to moving forward with this project. Um, and all this comes into our topic today. I, I posted the blog this morning about, uh, foolproof questions for teacher feedback. And I think this is something that as veteran teachers, we know we're supposed to get feedback and some people have different tools for doing that. I've used a variety of different student questionnaires about how I'm doing, Um, our principal this year sent out a a blog post that I will try to find and link to in the podcast about Feedback Friday, where every Friday the teacher gives the students opportunities to tell her what went well and what didn't that week. And I thought that was pretty great. And something really telling happened when I gave that. I teach honors 10th graders. And so I gave the students slips of paper. I said, this is Feedback Friday. I want you to be honest. On one side, you can write what's going well. On the other side, you can write what's going not so well. You don't have to write on both sides. You don't have to write on either side. You could put your name, but you don't have to. Um, don't try to make me feel good. This is about honesty. And one of the students, who was a little bit more precocious, um, wrote on there, well, I think this is a good idea if you're actually going to look at it and do anything about it. 
Um, and I did. I, I took that feedback that the students gave me and used it to design um, some more engaging assessments, which we can talk about another time. But I think that's the key of what we're talking about. When we are looking at getting teacher feedback, we want to get feedback that we can do something with. So I mentioned another time in the blog a few years ago where I got um, another article. Our principal sends out articles every Monday with our weekly newsletter. And um, this one I actually linked to in the blog and I will link to it below in the podcast was an Atlantic article, Why Kids Should Grade Their Teachers, which is just frightening. But um, in the article, they talk about how they did a study. Um, the Gates Foundation did a study asking 36 questions of students across ethnic and racial backgrounds, across socioeconomic status, across different parts of the country, elementary, middle, and high school students. And the five questions that um, were most strongly correlated with student learning were questions that the students could answer. They're statements students have to either strongly agree, agree, neither agree nor disagree, disagree or strongly disagree. So just that criterion. And even if you don't like a teacher answering these questions, it's hard to tank the teacher's evaluation in these questions. Or, and for me, I feel like this is the case. Um, if they do like the teacher, it's hard to give the teacher good feedback. When I gave those students those slips, I had a lot of students write, you're doing a great job. And I'm like, well, thank you. But that's not what I asked for. I didn't ask for applause. I asked for specifics. Um, and so these questions are really valuable. And the questions are, students in this class treat the teacher with respect. My classmates behave the way my teacher wants them to. Our class stays busy and doesn't waste time. In this class, we learn a lot almost every day. In this class, we learn to correct our mistakes. Man, oh man, I know. When we got that article in the lunchroom, we were buzzing about it. There were so many different conversations going and everybody was having the same thing, which is, oh my gosh, I don't know what my students would say if I gave them those questions. I think I do number one and two, but I don't know about five. Or some people were saying, I know five, but I don't know about two. And what does four mean? Um, a few of us did give the students uh, these questions, but then we didn't really do anything with the data. And as we know from our PLC work, if you don't do anything with the data, then there's no purpose to it, right? So thinking about this question of how do we get feedback from our students, we know that our students are the ones who are the most equipped to give us feedback. They're the only ones who are in our class all the time. They are the only people who are truly experts in observing teachers. And no, a student can't tell you what strategy necessarily a teacher is using that is effective or ineffective, but they know what works and what doesn't. And students respond to what works. They, they just do, even if they, they don't love it they will grudgingly admit that it works. And you know this, you remember this from your high school days. Um, this, there were teachers who you loved, and then there were teachers where maybe you didn't love them so much, but you really liked their classes. And both of those things matter, but I think a lot of times as young teachers, um, I know I banked a lot on the, I hope they like me. <laughs> I also wanted to be rigorous, um, but I I put a lot of, of uh, emphasis behind the thought that a strong classroom management policy begins with a strong rapport with the students. And that's absolutely true. Um, but it's not the 
that is strong classroom management, but it's not necessarily good education. So what I wanted to do was, was think about teacher feedback. I've been working so hard this summer on planning everything out and making sure that um, I always have these very ambitious plans for the year and uh, I get overwhelmed with the grading and the planning and all the meetings and things and my plans uh, get scaffolded down oftentimes to the bare minimum. And so this year I decided to put all the planning work in that I could ahead of time during the summer, especially since I was laid up and get all my graphic organizers made and all my plans written, all my objectives written so that I could dedicate the time during the school year to preparing, grading, and actualizing those plans. I'm looking at grading policies now, and then I'm looking at teacher feedback. Um, the great and good Jennifer Gonzalez, who does uh, the Cult of Pedagogy, who is absolutely my role model. I love her podcasts and her blog, um, the way that she creates really, really usable and reasonable resources in her Teachers Pay Teacher store. She's, she's phenomenal. Um, and so I definitely recommend checking out the Cult of Pedagogy. I will link to it in the website if, uh, if you aren't aware, you should check it out. She also wrote a blog about the importance of getting student feedback. And so between that and some other research I did, I compiled what I think is a complete questionnaire that we should be giving our students, and not just once but every three to four weeks, and you may wanna administer it more or less often depending on the pace of your school. If you work on a nine week alternating block schedule, then you're gonna to wanna to maybe give it every week. If you, we have um, an alternating block schedule every day. So we have um, A days and B days. So students take eight classes, but they only have four of their classes at one time. So for those students, I might not give it every till four, every four or five weeks because that's really only about two weeks of instructional time. Um, I want to give it after maybe the first two weeks and then somewhere around midterms and then right before finals um, and then again second semester. And I want to use it in a Google form because if you haven't used Google forms, what's amazing about them when you use multiple choice questions is that immediately on the screen they tabulate in pie charts. Um, the responses that you received, um, that students or anybody else responded with. And so it's just a real quick visual way to see what most of your class is saying. Um, for the free response questions, you can export everything to a Google Sheet and you can read through. And um, so it, it all just stays in one place. And so every time you can either create a copy of the form or you can unlink the sheet and then delete all responses and start over so that you can see actual data because ideally the data will be changing. That when the students mention something as a weakness that you will be improving on it. And we're not gonna expect to get perfect ratings the first time, but that's okay. So this does two things. It gives us data to work with, it gives the students a voice and especially in our first few years teaching, it is really hard, it is a survival game. And sometimes um, you're gonna be falling really flat in one of these areas. And it may seem overwhelming, but it's not. The truth isn't overwhelming. A deep awareness of our strengths and our weaknesses. And sometimes saying, yeah, you know what? I know I need to work on helping them correct their mistakes, but right now I'm just getting through and that will be a focus for next year. But a true awareness of our strengths and weaknesses is a strength as educators. You know the worst educators are the ones who think they have no weaknesses, right? The second thing is we want to be giving effective feedback to students. It's incredibly important that we give them feedback on their learning, on their socialization, on their behavior, 
um, on everything from their manners. You know, we do so many things for teacher for teenagers when we work with them as teachers beyond just teaching them the content. But even within the content, we need to give them feedback and we need to model for them to accept the fact that that they are not going to be perfect. And some of these sweet little children have expected to be perfect their whole lives. They've been told they are perfect. On the flip side, some of them don't expect to have any strengths whatsoever. And so when we model for them how to graciously receive feedback, how to take that feedback and then turn it into something and to act on it, like that, that young man in my class said, if you're going to do something about this, then we begin to show them what an adult does, what the learning process looks like, and we create respect in that moment. Um, in Jennifer Gonzalez's podcast, she talks a lot about the necessity of following up with students if they say that they're having a problem with somebody in the class or their seat, or if they say, I don't feel like your grading practices are fair, for example, then sitting down and following up with the student. And I would agree that that is essential. And so we've included some free response places for the students to um, discuss what particular strengths and weaknesses they see in the classroom. So in addition to those five questions that came from the Gates Foundation study, which I just can't think of a way to rephrase those or reword those that is any better than what we have there, I added in two more questions um, that I also think are really important. And one is most of the days, most days, the interactions I have with the teacher in this class are, and the options are non-existent, negative, neutral, positive. And number seven, answer question seven says, explain your answer and be specific. I would hope that maybe at the beginning of the year, I may have some neutral, um, maybe some non-existent, although it is, that would bum me out, um, and some positive. To see negative, then I would follow up with that student and say, what's going on? We talk a lot about um, cultural, culturally responsive teaching. And I think this is an opportunity for us to be aware of that. And sometimes you will have, I had a sweet child a few years ago who I know that all of our interactions were negative. <laughs> um, and he walked into that classroom demanding negative attention and he got it. But he also got a lot of positive attention. He took a lot of work. So that may happen. You have to know the class. But then following up with that and showing that you care. The next question is, in general, I find the environment in this class to be either physically or emotionally and the options are uncomfortable, neutral, comfortable. And I didn't want to put in very comfortable, somewhat comfortable, because it's just, it's one or the other. And then number nine says explain. So this is a chance for the student to tell you, I am sitting under a draft and I hate it. Or as that girl did to me at prom saying, you're sitting me next to my ex-boyfriend. He and I had a really bad breakup. I am so uncomfortable being around him. I just shut down in class. You know, if, if I'd had that information at the beginning of the year, I could have switched somebody's schedule, right? Probably. Um, but instead, I had them sitting next to each other because nobody told me. So if I would have given this survey two weeks into class, this really could have helped. Um, so that's emotional discomfort, physical discomfort, but there may be other reasons. Sometimes it's just good to know that. We know that Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If, if you're not physically and emotionally safe, you're not going to be able to learn. And... Um, there may be some circumstances that we're not able to make it a physically or emotionally safe space for students, but then we know that going in and we can scaffold more or less or remediate more or less depending on the needs of that student. 
The last three questions are open-ended and I would put them in a Google Doc like this. What should the teacher do more of in this class? What should the teacher do less of in this class? Is there anything else I should the teacher should know? And I'll have to change that in the blog. I, I changed all the personal pronouns to the teacher because I think when you put it, what should I do? Students are not comfortable giving feedback. A lot of students are not comfortable giving feedback to anybody, but particularly to a teacher who they've been taught to respect. And um, when you put it in that neutral phrasing, as if it's coming from somebody else, sometimes it's a little bit easier for them to not try to make you feel better by writing something nice, but to give you honest feedback. Before giving this survey, you will obviously talk about the difference between positive feedback, helpful feedback, and insulting feedback. And um, tell them you know, that you're gonna take this seriously. If you are really concerned about it based on your population or just you're nervous about this in general, you can require they put their names on it. I have um, name and class period on there as an option. Well, the class period is mandatory so that I can look at the data to see, well, is my third period class doing better than my sixth period class or vice versa? Um, are their responses different? Are my responses the same for every section of a class that I teach? Are they the same for every different class? So are they the same for my 10th grades? 10th graders and my 12th graders? Are they the same for my morning students and my afternoon students, right? Because sometimes that's good information for us to have. Um, the names, Jennifer Gonzalez says to make them optional, but to encourage students to put their names. And I think I would go by that policy because sometimes it's tough if a student is um, very conflict avoidant, they just may not want to put their name. Of course, if you're doing this on paper, you can always read their handwriting. If you're doing it via Google Form and your school has the Google Suite for Education, you can collect their um, email address, and so that would be a way of tra tra tracing it back. But if you ask the students about their names, you have the conversation with them, most of them will do it, and then it won't be too hard to figure it out from there on in if there were a reason that you needed to. Um, I would I intend to look at the data, discuss it with the class, and maybe even show them those those pie graphs uh, that come up in the Google um, form responses. But for questions six through 12, I tell them that their answers are confidential, that nobody will see them and I will not share them, but that I may follow up with them individually based on those questions, based on those answers. And then um, I would, and then we would try to move on. What do we need to do to make this better? So I hope that you'll think about this, especially if you're a new teacher, because we all need to know what is our success criteria. When I, I just started working with um, first and second year teachers as a BITSA coordinating teacher last year. And one of my questions I asked in, in September was, how will you know if you've been successful this year? We ask this when we're lesson planning, how will we know if the students have been successful in achieving the learning objective, right? But how will we know if we've been successful? And that answer varies. And I think for a long time I will say, my students know that they can come to me, that my room is a safe space for them, that they can share what's going on in their lives and that they don't feel overwhelmed and overburdened, but they do feel challenged and supported. And that's all great, but how do I know if that happened? Every year I've been basing this off a general feeling. No matter who you are, you will have one or two kids who come to talk to you, no matter who you are. So you can't use that as a metric. 
you need to have data. Just like you can't know if your students have learned the quadratic formula unless you give them a test, right? Well, I just really felt like they knew it. And I called on this one kid and he totally knew it. So yeah, I did a pretty good job teaching the quadratic formula. No, that's garbage, right? We know that. This is why many states have adopted um, standards for the teaching profession that administrators will assess their new teachers on. But those are pretty vague too. So I think using these criteria will help us be better teachers. They will help you professionally. They will help your students feel more connected to the learning process. And yeah, so I hope that you guys take a look at the blog. Uh, we go into a little bit more detail. And of course, I've listed out the questions for you there. And um, then let me know. Let me know if you use these surveys, how they work. I will do an update blog when I use the survey. And I wrote them into my lesson plans this morning. So I will... You know, gosh, if I'm brave, maybe I'll even share some of the results and, and be able to talk about that. And that, like I said, is, is the joy of, of this blog and this podcast is that I'm in the classroom and I'm teaching. And so I can share how these things are working for me as well as I try them out. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Um, please rate it on iTunes so other people know how to find it. Please recommend it to your friends, to your cohort. Um, I have some really, I'm not going to, I'm not going to share anything, but I have some really exciting stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks for the blog and for the podcast. And so I hope um, that at some point, some of the marketing that I'm going to do will have gotten to you. You'll hear it. You'll see it. And let me know what you'd like to hear more of. When I start the school year, I'm going to include students and teachers as well. So it's not just my voice, but for the summer, this has been the best way to get started. So thank you for listening. I hope that you have a wonderful day. And if you could get any feedback from me, it would be that you're doing great.